1: They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD plus. Check out Qualia NAD plus risk free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave 15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave 15 Qualia NAD plus. It's what I use. Today's cool fact of the day
2: is that your brain is only about 2% of your of the weight of your body, uh, even though your brain is one of the most mitochondrially dense parts of the body. So it doesn't weigh very much, but it sucks power. Essentially, your brain, your heart, and your eyes are the things that use the most energy. So they are the ones that have the most effect from how you eat, from how you live, and basically everything you do. That's all driven by the density of mitochondria in the brain. So 2%
1: For a seven-day free trial.
2: Today's guest is a friend and someone I've had a chance to hang out with several times, someone with a pretty unusual brain who has spent time working with high-performance adults, but also kids with autism on movement. This is a a type of uh, movement therapy and just a type of, of systems thinking of the human body that evolved from the Feldenkrais method, if that's something that you're familiar with, but something that has kind of gone beyond that to look at the programming of how the brain controls movement. So it's tied to functional movement, it's tied to neurological performance, and it's tied to the very core of who you are. And her name is Anat Baniel. Anat wrote a couple different books, and one of them, in fact, why don't you tell us the titles of your two books?
3: Absolutely. So my first book is called Move Into Life, The Nine Essentials for Lifelong Vitality. And it's uh, geared for adults to take advantage of their brain's ability to upgrade itself. And I love it that you use the. the you're the first person I talked to that talk said upgrading the brain, and that's the whole point. And the other book is Kids Beyond Limits, and it's uh, the my story about how I got to work with children with special needs, and how that worked. Help me actually define the nine essentials and things that parents, therapists can do that are very simple, counterintuitive very often, that really wake up the children's brains and give results that are way outside of what's expected today to be possible.
2: Now, your story is really interesting. When, When we first met, I'd come across your work before because I've done some, I've spoken at Autism One, I've done some work around supporting the autism community. And lots of autistic parents use bulletproof supplements just because they, they like the purity level. Because when you have sensitive brains, purity is really, really important. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm dialed in on that, my own experience with Asperger's. Uh, but that's not where I spend my, my primary focus. But So I'm familiar with your work. And then we met at the Transformational Leadership Council, which is a group that was started by uh, Jack Canfield, who puts together a group of people uh, who basically write around personal development. It was neat because we got to meet. I'm like, oh, I know your work. This is so cool. And then a week later, I'm in L.A. with one of 12 living grandmasters of a Chinese energy medicine tradition uh, who does some, we'll just call it energy work for me. And the guy sounds a little crazy except he's a UCLA surgeon uh, from Tennessee (laughs) who just happened to spend 20 years in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, training with the masters, mm-hmm. uh, so the, uh, just a kind of an evolved guy who can mm-hmm. do things that he has no business doing. Uh, his name mm-hmm. is Barry Morgulon. He's the guy who wrote the meditation for mitochondria that's in Headstrong. And I go into his office, and he's doing some cupping therapy. And he, this Stop. guy treats like presidents of countries, and he supports Tony Robbins during his things. Like the, one of the top level guys who just can do something. You, I can't explain what all it does. But sitting on his desk is a copy of your book. <laughs> 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 so it was just too serendipitous to go, wow, look at this. Yes. So, so people at the very height of their game, uh, like uh, like Barry Morgulon, are also reading your book. But what I want to know, and we've had a chance to spend mm-hmm. time here at Bulletproof Lab, so I, I know yeah. this but what I want the audience to know. You notice things about what the brain does in response to the environment around it that most people are completely unaware of, and then you take that into kids with developmental problems, or adults with movement problems.
3: Or high performers, yeah. musicians, you know, athletes, dancers,
2: yeah. How did you get the ability to do that? Because it's not normal. I know a few others like that <laughs> who can just, it's like Neo in the Matrix. Yes. You, know, you see zeros and ones, and everyone else just sees what a red dress or something. Yeah. You look at someone, a child or, or an adult or a singer, and you see things that other people don't see, but how did you get that skill?
3: Fabulous question, really <laughs> fabulous. Um, well, I, uh, what happened was, as a, since I was a child, I was what people would call very sensitive, or some people called me a difficult child.
2: Were you on the autism spectrum yourself? I don't, uh,
3: I don't think so in my Mm. world, but uh, I think today I might have been diagnosed that way. I I intentionally put myself in daydream world because I could not handle people most people around me and I could not uh, Handle a lot of the environmental stuff lucky for me. I grew up in Israel where it was a a Earlier on and and so a lot of things were natural because Mm -hmm. there wasn't the money or the you know so It was a good thing Mm -hmm. but but the thing is that then, you know, I learned to cope and I was became a very good student in high school because I realized that'll make me popular, you know, things like that. But I, it always felt off. And it, when I met Feldenkrais, oh, I did the Feldenkrais work as a child. My dance teacher taught his movement lessons and I would do it once a week because one class was a regular one, two, three, one, two, three. Mm-hmm. And the other one was what we called the lesson on the floor. The other girls didn't like it. I took to it like fish to water. And when I would do that hour movement lesson, for two days I was able to do things in gym class. I was I was well. So week after week I moved from feeling not really lost and didn't never could find home. And then two days I was well. And then and then fast forward I'm in grad school for clinical psychology and I'm going like Intellectually, I could kill what they were teaching us easily. But the desire to understand how, how I work, how people work, never left me. Finally, I remembered Feldenkrais. I started studying with him. And that's to answer your question. The way of using movement and what he, I learned from him and then what I developed, the nine essentials, I, was the way that I could start making sense of my world and I saw that he saw things I couldn't see. So I did something that I think no, probably no one else that I know. Everybody wanted to learn what he did. I wanted to know what he sees. And I wanted to know what he thinks. Because I knew he knew things like you described about me. And, I, and through the work, I could start noticing more, seeing more, feeling more. And by doing that, I realized I can learn anything. And all I have to do is just keeping that process that we will talk more about. And that's how I got to really sing more, but I know that it's a learned. It's not like, oh, I have, you know, you know, people say I have Jesus hands or, you know, things like that. I said, no, I worked, <laughs> I worked to get there. Got it. When I worked in Tanglewood and I worked with Seiji Osawa, right? Mm-hmm. He's the conductor. He was the artistic director. And I watched him work, getting the orchestra ready for a concert. This is
2: in Austria? or No,
3: no, no. That was in the Tanglewood Music Festival, We're Boston Symphony. Boston, Symphony. Boston, oh, okay, cool. Boston Symphony. And I knew that he hears what I don't hear, and I hear well. But I could see. So what happens to me now is when I meet a person like you or other people, I can identify whether I hear, see, feel, know, understand something or don't. And when it's interests me, I start doing the process to get closer and closer to what other, the other person can do or see.
2: Interesting. I've met a few people who, when they're at the top of their game, uh, in fact, I was, I was once on stage uh, before the, the floor opened uh, with some of the guys from Third Eye Blind. Uh, Stephen, Jenkins, uh, the <coughs> Stephen Jenkins, the lead singer, uh, and I got to be friends. And so I'm, like, I'm going to get a picture of me, like, on the drum set, right? So one of the guitarists, like, picked up to start riffing. I'm, like, oh, crap. I have no skills musically whatsoever. <laughs> so I'm, like, but, but you look at, like, a professional musician like that. And, like, they, they can jam. Like, they do something. And, and we've looked at musicians' brains. And they, they literally have skills they don't have. And my wife, uh, Dr. Lana, she spent five years running a drug and alcohol addiction emergency medicine center. And we can walk into a room. And she's, like, alcoholic, alcoholic stimulant abuser. Yes. <laughs> Even if they haven't had a drink in three days, she can smell it. She can sense it. She's And in, in, these are visceral senses that, that she and every other doctor who works with addicts has been able to develop over time. And what's interesting is that you and uh, maybe Kelly Starrett, uh, who does uh, the San Francisco CrossFit, who's been on the mm-hmm. show, uh, he does a lot of functional movement stuff as well. And, and you walk in and but like when I walk in, like, Dave, you got something going on in your chest that isn't quite right, and, and you know, one shoulder isn't where it should be, and, and you, you just you see all this stuff. How does that translate though for the you know, quarter million people who are gonna hear this interview? They're like, all right, what, what's in this for me right now? Yeah. So there are these people who have these magic spider mm-hmm. powers of perception, but like how do I how do I translate those nine principles into something that people can take away today?
3: Well, the first thing that I think is really important to take away is that at least I would say, if not 100%, 90% of what we call intuition or talent is actually people who systematically trained themselves and their brains to notice and interpret information. So the idea that you're born knowing it, or we, we have tendencies, we have inclinations, we have whatever, genetic endowment, But to get to those high levels, and it's not just practice doing the same thing. It's a very active process of continued learning and continued refinement and wanting to know. Now, the thing that uh, the nine principles or the nine essentials, and if you're interested, I can talk about it a little bit, is that they, I'll do it very briefly, talked about it just a few minutes ago, the brain is an information system. It's not a mechanical system. And one of the big mistakes in trying to get ourselves to be smarter or therapy or rehabilitation or fitness is that people treat the brain as if it was a mechanical system. So they think if I work harder or I do more repetitions or I get all the way to pain and strain, I'll get more outcome. Well, if you want to move a heavy chair, maybe that's true. But if you want to get your brain to be smarter and get you working better, you actually, that's the opposite. The okay. uh, forcing, so the brain, uh, I, I spoke uh, to, now he's a friend and uh, we're doing some projects together, Dr. Michael Merzenich, mm-hmm. and you know, people talk about the, you, you know, uh, stimulation and they equate it with information. And I, from my experience working with people, stimulation alone is not information for the system. The brain either turns stimulation into information or it doesn't. And it does it through perception of differences. So when I f- see the difference between red and, and blue, I see color and I see red and blue. And I feel a difference between moving my arm this direction or that direction, which gives me the, the you know, on the violin, the, just the right tone and I'm more like Yasha Heifetz. I have to hear the difference. I have to see, I have to hear, I have to kind of aesthetically feel differences, smell, etc. So the nine essentials are a way to get your brain to be really, really quickly much better at perceiving differences. And once you perceive differences, spontaneously the brain reorganizes things into higher quality organization or breakthroughs to do things you couldn't do before.
2: It's interesting. Uh, And I'd
3: be happy to name a few. Yeah, but you, uh, yes, 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 sure.
2: Which I think it means that they'll get something meaningful they can take away. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When I. When I got going in Silicon Valley, I basically figured that most of the, the inputs that I had were noise, right? right. So like, <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's you know, too many people talking about all sorts of crap I don't care about. Yeah. Uh, so I, I worked on, because I was basically on the spectrum, uh, on the spectrum meaning like autism in that I had many of the symptoms of Asperger's, probably had it, wasn't formally diagnosed, certainly ADHD and stuff like that um, before I like turned my brain all the way on. But so you sort of narrow down what you pay attention to and just do your best to block out everything else. And the core belief system there is that like there, it's all noise, and you don't realize there's a signal in there. And my work in tech was we have an overwhelming amount of systems management data. So I, I can measure tens of thousands of variables per second from any operating mm-hmm. system, any app, any server, any network. It's not possible to take all of that stuff and put it into a system. Mm-hmm. So what it came down to was, how do you get a signal out of all the noise? Mm. So you can do that from a a technology perspective, and we call that event correlation. And some of the early work that I did was on broad-scale event correlation systems. Well, it turns out (laughs) our brains, just like you're saying, they're very powerful event correlation systems, and they'll figure out, oh, when this happens, that means this, Mm
4: -hmm.
2: as long as you understand that that there's information there. And as long as you maybe do some things to reduce the amount of noise or to make it so you can oh, spot these.
3: Yeah, to reduce the noise. and to in, yeah Increase the literal capacity, physiological capacity of the system to perceive, to notice that there is a difference. So,
2: so what, yeah. what's an example of this? Like, okay, so I'll like, tell you like when, you when I thought it the first time. Yeah.
3: No, I, I'll tell you. It's a, it's a, a, one of the very first children I worked with when I moved to New York from mm-hmm. Israel. And... He was three years old, beautiful, beautiful boy, very severe spastic cerebral palsy. And he could do nothing. I mean, he ha- had no idea how to organize movement in space and he couldn't speak. And uh, I started working with him, his response, I, I, it's really funny, To it's, it's, it's like Feldenkrais wrote about my work towards mm-hmm. the end of his life. He wrote a letter so I can get into the United States and he wrote that the outcomes are, have to be seen to be believed you know you know that because of your work the brain is the fastest to change and the fastest mm-hmm. to upgrade itself so it's in, instantaneous practically when it works
2: and for so, let me interrupt you for, a second. Yes, for for listeners if you are not familiar with feldenkrais uh, very very famous movement like pioneer in the field of movement and, and, so that, and that's a pretty and, big endorsement just for yeah yeah, who aren't yeah and
3: and of course and it's it's the uh, he he's really the pioneer of the neuroplasticity and the lack of separation of mind and body basically yeah. mm-hmm. So, so, and he was a physicist. He was a quantum mechanics physicist. He was a nuclear physicist or a quantum physicist. Anyway, so, so, you know, the parents tell me, and then they say he gets speech therapy. And one of the things they do with him is speech therapy. And by the way, speech therapists are wonderful and committed, and it's not against a therapist, but it's really what we know and what we learn. So it's an opportunity to upgrade, right? So they say they take his tongue and they brush it, they, they, they brush the tongue to stimulate it so he would start talking.
2: His tongue.
3: His tongue. Now, do you know how the homunculus, right, in the brain, mm-hmm. the, the actually the way we really look, like a huge I, tongue? I'd
2: explain this. Yeah.
3: Okay, so, so the, oh, uh, throughout our early years, we, and throughout life actually, we literally map the body to the brain. That means that the baby is born, they don't really know they have a hand, but it moves. It has like random movements and gradually through experiences, things happen. The brain makes connections and maps it. And there's what's called the motor cortex, which means it's the movement-related mapping in the cortex. And there is the sensory cortex, which is the sensations are mapped. And actually, a third of the motor cortex is sensory, so the brain can really correlate the two things together. But most people don't realize that. Now, the parts that don't move, like a child, for instance, that's born with a a, a brachial plexus injury, where there isn't enough connectivity, there's injury to the nerve that innervates the arm, then even though the arm is there and the muscles are intact, it doesn't have Mapping of that arm in the brain. So from the point of view of the brain, it doesn't have that arm Now if somebody has an arm, let's say a soldier, and there's an amputation in the war Even though the arm is gone the brain doesn't know it's gone So it's start that's why there's the pain and it tries to interpret the sensations that are coming in and it sort of goes Wild because it doesn't have anything to do with what it knew before and with reality These things can be worked with by the way and help very very quickly but so in, in, the, in the sizes of the representation of our body in what's called the homunculus is proportional to the innervation. It's not proportional to the actual physical side. So it's basically a functional representation or image of the body. So then the tongue is bigger in the brain. The tongue will be bigger than the pelvis and the legs and the feet put together. So we look really funny. We have tiny little sticks and feet and a tiny pelvis, a little bit maybe not too big a a torso. And then we have huge lips and a huge tongue that goes almost all the way to the floor. And the hands and the the thumb are enormous. So this is what we look like. So for example... interesting
2: what we look like from our own perspective when we're a baby.
3: Or? Oh no no! From the development, okay. so a baby's brain actually most of it is not mapped yet. So okay. you don't you don't get you get a lot of switches. An adult, an adult brain. adult, okay. the way you actually look, and if you go, you can maybe plug in an image, mm-hmm. or I can email you an image I use in my presentations, uh, where I asked uh, in, in TLC. I just did the fifteen-minute mm-hmm. thing, uh, 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 you know, one morning, right. the, the last meeting. You weren't there, and I put that. That image, and I said that to the audience, "Do you know? Because where do you look like that?" And they didn't know. So that where do we need to do some more stuff so we intensify the innovation to have access to what what uh, we want to do? So when you take the tongue of a child and you stimulate it with a brush. And the brain doesn't know what to do with this intensity of stimulation and their spastic cerebral palsy. That means that when they move, everything contracts at the same time. What you really do is rather than create more differentiation so you can control the tongue and start having speech, you make the whole brain activate more all at the same time. And the, the brain associates what you mentioned a minute ago, associates any sensation in the tongue to intensify st- spasticity, so you drive the brain in the opposite direction. And I thought, wait a minute, stimulation is not information. That's when I got it. Uh, so I said, What I want to do is to reduce, because I said then he, he needs to get more stimulation. I said he gets in as much stimulation as anybody else. We all roughly get the same amount of stimulation, both from the inside and the outside.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: It's what our brains that da- da- does or our brain does with that stimulation. That makes the difference. And that's when I realized I have to reduce the intensity and refine this ba- child's ability to feel. And he started in pretty short order to start like,
2: talking. How short of an order are we talking about?
3: Well, let's talk about nowadays because, I, I, I don't know, let's just say one week or two weeks. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. You know, And it wasn't full but it, language. But it was less than a month. Oh, yeah, yeah, and I, you know, and I work with a child, we work for a week intensely, and then we give them a break for two, three weeks, because the brain has so much to work with and integrate, and then we do some more, and we do the same thing with adults, but nowadays, with children on the autism spectrum, sometimes within a session, I have videos now, I videotape everything, Mm -hmm. we, we, within a session, the child will all of a sudden start saying words that couldn't do it before. Wow. Because once the brain can do it, it just goes for it. It just runs. Because a child heard language. But imagine if... Let me give this very briefly, this image. I try to understand what it feels like for a child that appears with the symptoms of autism, right? What, what is it like to be the child, right? And the image that came to me in my mind was a very large blender,
4: yeah, it's very And you throw
3: right? into the blender, no, a lot of yogurt, you fill it in, and you put in, you know, all kinds of fruits and nuts and things like that. So you get this uh, purplish, uh, pinkish, whitish thing with bits and pieces moving, and then you put a, a mask and a long snorkel, <laughs> and you put yourself inside the yogurt thing, mm-hmm. and then you try to make sense of what comes in through that yogurt, right? But you keep experiencing that thick thing within, every so often, if maybe a little bit, you can clear through the the glass, all of a sudden your brain can, but otherwise it's just this soup and you can never just, because the job of the brain is to put order in the disorder and make sense out of the nonsense. So it just opens it a little bit and then it goes back. So, 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 mm And I I gave that image one time at Autism One. I think it was Autism One. And Jill Balty-Taylor, she's a Mm -hmm. friend and a supporter. So she came to listen to me give the talk. And I I said that she jumped on the stage and she said when she had the brain bleed, uh, she's a stroke of of insight author and TED Talk. And, And she said that was her experience. She was autistic. She was in the blender.
2: It aren't all adults in that to a certain extent? Like oh, there, there's yes. a certain amount of fog that's always been present. So until something lifts it for you, uh, you, you don't know it's there because it's the omnipresent thing.
3: Yes. Um. And but it answer it's it's a, continuing your previous question. That blender really by doing the process of getting the brain to be a better brain in its own right that does the perception of differences better. And so it, it generates more information it gets better in spontaneously integrating because we can't, mm-hmm. the outcome is always spontaneous. I learned that I cannot control the outcome. Every time I try to make an outcome happen, I, I, I dive myself and my client down to the ground. But what I do is I give the brain the capacity to generate relevant information and do with it what it's going to do with it. And it always does a good thing with it. And so that's how people, your audience can start getting a better brain that's it. it from the way we do it you do it in amazing
2: ways yourself but it seems like there's there's sort of two sides to the coin there is you know brain hardware that, that's there and, and a lot of the work I've done in the last couple of years are, is just around basic brain energetics mm-hmm. where the the brain wants to make sense of information but in order to do that it has to have enough energy to do that and I found that in my own brain, when, it, when I was working really hard, it was because I wasn't making enough energy. So when, when you have enough energy, the work doesn't feel hard. Mm-hmm. And to drive neuroplasticity, it, it, the brain naturally is neuroplastic. It naturally wants to optimize. Mm-hmm. And in order to guide it in certain ways, sometimes you push the brain to the point of, of discomfort. Not looking at, like, weightlifting at all. A good example might be uh, dual and back training. You, you can double the amount of working memory that you have. Mm-hmm. But even when I presented this to hedge fund managers, guys with billions of dollars and all, saying, "Look, 20 days, 20 minutes a day of training, you can probably get 10 IQ points that way." Most of them won't do it because as soon as you start doing it, it's just frustrating. You just feel like like you're just falling down all the time. Kind of, you know, when a child's learning to walk, they just fall over, over and over. Until they finally get it.
3: How how do you mean Mm -hmm. falling down? Because I haven't experienced it, so I don't know quite what you're talking about.
2: Well, so with, with this type of training, you're doing a really frustrating activity where you hear one thing and see another thing, so you have to at the same time be able to hear and see. It's not a natural thing for most people. And what happens after about 20 days of this just repeated failure, actually usually it's 14 days of failure, all of a sudden your score goes up and you realize, wait, I can see, remember, and hear and remember at the same time because of neuroplasticity. But to drive the brain to grow those neurons, it's energetically expensive to grow neurons. You need new mitochondria, you need new fat, you have to actually, like, grow stuff. Mm-hmm. So what we end up doing is um, the brain will resist, mm-hmm. right? And now this is a special skill we're trying to put in, and I've found that there's natural optimization that we'll do, the natural optimization is easier when there's enough energy, and the unnatural mm-hmm. optimization, which is a lot of what mm-hmm. I focus on now, like the, the how do you make a super brain, mm-hmm. it, it comes down to get enough energy in so the brain can sort through mm-hmm. the yogurt, mm-hmm. and you can do this. What I want to know for uh, for my own use and for people listening is, even if we didn't upgrade our brain energetics, and we just wanted to whatever amount of yogurt is in our world around us, what are the <laughs> like the maybe two or three Simplest things you can do to make it easier or, or Faster for your brain to sort through this to get more signal from the world uh,
3: Absolutely. You. So first of all, let me a hundred percent validate my for from my experience yeah. what you said okay. in terms of that's what I told you We did the lecture, you know on autism bottom up and top down, right? So you 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 do a whole lot of the bottom up when I work with people the easiest to see is with the babies within Ten minutes, sometimes, especially the kids on the spectrum, they get black under their eyes. They start looking ashen, and I know that their brain is starving. <laughs> I know that feeling know so well. I <laughs> know their brain is starving. So, uh, and then now, you know, I'm getting more resources here to where to send parents. I said, you need to go to someone. I'm. I i do not know how to do it. I'm not an expert, but I know that this system needs the nutrition and the, the the literally the building blocks mm-hmm. in order to, for our work to be there was one child that we actually said I won't work unless they do the work I said because it's cruel and I don't think it's effective yeah it was it was very extreme so yes to that now absolutely two things you know how children on the autism spectrum have very often issues with Selective selectivity in what they will eat, very mm-hmm. narrow uh, diet, and a, a digestive
2: problems. Yeah, I certainly had those.
3: Yeah, when when we work with them and we upgrade the ability of the brain to put order in the disorder, and make sense out of the nonsense, what happens is their digestion gets better without changing anything, and they start eating more foods. That was my top down conversation, and that was when Mike Merzenich was there, and he started explaining how that. So you can actually, when you get the brain to do its job better, and I'll answer in a second how, a couple of ways to do that, actually the autonomic nervous system level of functioning improves to a point. It still needs the building block. Be, be, otherwise, you know, you put a cap on it. So a few ways that, you know, the listener or viewers can, can do. The first one, if you were just to do one Is What I call the first essential is movement with attention. First of all, we are a moving machine. There's movement all the time in us, a a, a voluntary, involuntary, internal, external, whatever. And the brain is very busy with that. What I discovered uh, through work is that when either you move yourself, you do a movement exercise, or someone else, like a practitioner, moves you, if you pay attention to what you feel, what you feel as you move. So you have to know, I'm going to move my arm up and down, like, let's say, this direction. So you know enough what you do. But if you go like, what does it feel? And you start gauging the feeling, you and you Mm -hmm. pay attention to what you feel. When you do not pay attention, research shows that, there is no detectable change in the mapping in the brain, the density of the maps in the brain related to the area that you're moving.
2: So you have to focus or you don't get better.
3: Exactly, there's zero learning. There's a, You're only grooving the, the existing. So it's the grooving in the myelination, the deeper and deeper habits, which become really harder and harder to get out of. But with the moment you pay attention, the estimated in children but i from my experience adults are about the same 1.8 million new connections per second so it's about 100 million a minute and if you do it different things in in 10 minutes about a billion new connections that starts being like the order of magnitude the brain likes right
2: is that why yoga can be so effective because a lot of yoga yeah. is about do pay attention to every little thing
3: exactly tai chi all those, the way martial arts used to be done before it became like whoo 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 kind of thing, mm-hmm. the, it's that tension, to what you feel as you move, is the opportunity for growth of, con- but in a massive speed, from which the brain pulls. It doesn't use all the connections ever, but it gives it the freedom to integrate it into the intended outcome. So, so the the movement with attention. Now you don't have to. You can do anything. If you go to the gym, you might look weird, but you put like the the um, treadmill, mm-hmm. slow speed, just for one or two minutes, and you walk and you you feel the contact with the heel, feel as you one foot after the other. Feel where and feel the differences between one foot and the other. Yeah. Feel what happens in your spine. Are your hip? And then you just put it on regular speed and you do it longer, better, faster. And if you had some pain, usually the pain will disappear like that. It's instantaneous. It's remarkable. You make coffee, coffee. You make your bullet mm-hmm. coffee, right? Mm-hmm. And you pay attention to I'm lifting here. Uh, do I feel where, how far do I feel the movement? Do I shift weight when I do it? It doesn't matter what you pay attention to as long as you pay attention to what you feel. Being, okay. but I wouldn't just call it mindfulness because then it becomes vague. Okay, I'm, I'm a big fan of mind. Oops, I'm a big fan of mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Much more. Spe- what do I feel in workshops that I teach people? I go back in the in in the morning the next morning. I said, okay, what are what are some of the essentials you're going to be using, and people say movement with attention. I say attention to what? To the to what movement you do. It takes people three days to really get, I'm going to pay attention to what I feel. They, it's amazing <laughs> how hard it is for people it, to get that.
2: It, it's, it's funny. It, it makes me think about the 40 Years of Zen, the, the neurofeedback program. Yeah. We're, we're bringing these executives through, and they're working to reach advanced states of performance and meditation, and instead of thinking about it, which is what most people are doing about the movement, they're thinking and analyzing the trick in order to raise their score on the neurofeedback, it's it's actually to feel it. So it's the visceral okay. felt sense in the body, uh, which for me was a huge thing to understand that had any value as someone who was kind of on the spectrum. Or like like there's no there's no point to all that crap, like just get it out of there, it's, it's just getting in my way. So... What I, uh, what I started doing was coaching people to like, stop thinking about it, just notice, like, does it hurt? Does notice. It hurt? Is it warm? Notice, is notice. Is it tingly? Is it sparkly? Yeah. Whatever. Perfect, right.
3: perfect. Anything, because the ability to notice is a learned function, and anything that's learned can get better and better. So you ask me, how do I get to see things that others don't? Because I, and I continue, I never stop, training my own skill of noticing. And that's the skill you train by doing the essentials and movement with attention. By the way, no feeling, no thinking. You had mm-hmm. enough sensation and feeling, or you, I, we're, as Jill says, we're feeling beings that think, we're not thinking beings that feel.
4: Interesting.
3: You, you know, so, and feeling in, especially your kind of audience that is. Already interested in personal growth and performance and will spend the time to to do this and spend the time to and money to get some products or do exercises and so on tend to be people that are Put a lot of value in thinking which I I put a lot of value in thinking myself. I mean hello Yeah, however, there's a tendency for the feeling part the sensation part to become invisible and what I'm inviting people to do is bring that way forward to the foreground to give the brain what it needs in order to do its job, and that is to feel and through feeling to perceive differences. So that's one essential movement with attention to what you feel. Notice what you feel.
2: One of the practices that as helped as you move. Yeah, that helped me a lot as I was just getting going on on hacking myself is I, I would use these engineering notebooks in Silicon Valley. And so you're sort of taking notes in meetings and, and all of that. But in the margin, anytime I noticed something new that usually was around cognitive function, brain fog, just ability to focus, and just quality of energy, I would just write down. Perfect. Uh, Perfect. And so the idea is first you Perfect. notice, then you you realize, you feel it in order to notice it. You don't think of it and then feel it. Yeah. And then just to take a note of it really grew my mindfulness a lot so then I'm like wait okay now I now I see a pattern now I can look at the events around me and see which of those are yeah. driving this pattern or not which
3: is I mean it couldn't be more more perfect so so what, what you said is we first we know then we learn people think first you learn then you know the other way around so first you it's a, it's a it's a feeling it's there it's in you you can't decide to have it you have it and then you observe it, and then you define it. And then you start making correlations. When I do it like this, I get that. When I do it like this, I get that. And it can be totally nonverbal, or no newborn would have ever learned anything. Totally true. So, so that's the first one. And of course, what I so love about what you just said is, you said, when I notice something new. So that's one of my essentials, which is called variation. Variability is like saying life. It's like saying biology. I mean, variability is it. Right. And so everybody knows now that if you want, you know, anti-aging and brain plasticity, you need you need to do different things. So for most people, it's and it's good what they do, but it's in very big chunks. Mm -hmm. this year I'll go to Italy, next year I'll go to France, you know, I will, you know, so you do different thing, you know, things, which is good, but you still take the same brain, and you just give it a little challenge, right, all of a sudden you hear slightly different language, and the hotel room is different, unless you go to Hilton everywhere, and (laughs) you know, so you get, you put a little bit of challenge on your nervous system to manage novelty and the unexpected, but we can bring variability intentionally in a dense period of time, five minutes, 10 minutes, I do lessons up to 45 minutes, where you really intentionally bring variability. And without exception, you will find immediate improvement. So let's say you you throw a ball and you throw it a certain way, or golf, people like golf, right? So you do golf. So the way to bring variability, which is very simple, sometimes... You put the golf club on the side. Sometimes you do it with a golf club because sometimes you want to distance from the existing associations for a little bit because they're very dominating. So when I work with musicians, I have them play it to me a little bit, then put the violin or cello or whatever on the side. I do some variations with them. I get them back to the instrument and then I take them away. So I do the same thing with golf, for example. So what I, I would do is I say, OK, now move. But move your whole body, you know, stand on your feet and everything like one unit. Now, when you do it next time, I slow them down. That's a huge essential, by the way, I'll talk about it next. I say, do the same movement. And I say, but turn your head in the opposite direction. You rarely will see a golfer ever spontaneously doing that, right? Right. So turn your head in the opposite direction. I say, now... For one moment, turn your head left and look to the left. Turn your head right, look to the right. I mean, people doing it, they can even try just as I say. And then turn your head to the left, but turn, turn your eyes to the right. Turn your head to the right. Turn, take your eyes to the left at the same time. And now do it while you do the golf. That is already a much more complex requirement on the system. And I said to them, just that, three minutes, let's say. And now just hit the ball. you know, And, and it's a completely different thing. It's a completely different thing, and you can improve it. And then if you want to really improve it faster, put them lying on the back. So the whole requirement for balance, which occupies, you know, 98% of the brain. So you calm, calm that demand down, and you have them do the movement, first of all, without the club. And then you're also in a different relationship to gravity. You do the same. Take the arms here, the head here, the eyes here, whatever. A few variations. You can also move the legs to the opposite direction. Then you say, pop on your feet, hit the ball. Huge change. You can do it when you make your coffee. If you always do it like this, you said use the other arm, use the same arm, look down when you do it. Look up, close the right eye, do it, just look through one eye, close the other eye, do it, do it through the other eye, and then just do it, and all of a sudden, pain in the shoulder disappears. I mean, it's just like that.
2: Wow, so just introducing the variety.
3: But within, you see, so you don't have to go to Italy, France, and all, you can. Mm -hmm. But you do it within the action. Anything you do my father who is an inventor had to solve a problem it doesn't matter He had the thing he was working on and I just wrote my first book and I sent the first you know the first copy I sent to him and and uh, uh, he called me up and he said I was stuck on solving a certain problem they were already in the manufacturing they were getting a real big problem in the plant and he said I couldn't solve it I couldn't solve it and then I decided I'll try variations mm-hmm. and he said I Put on the computer variations that I knew ahead of time were wrong, but I just decided to experiment with that, and he said, and in ten minutes I had the full solution. Wow, it's 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 very very powerful.
2: Now sometimes that can be really tiring. Like like you talked about paying attention to your feet when you walk at, at, as part of this on a treadmill. So I've my whole life had really tender feet. So for me to to do anything that was like walking really like that, it was it was actually overwhelming. So I finally decided that I was going to change the signal to noise, and I I have a, a sleep induction mat that I, that I make. It's basically it's a an acupressure mat with a bunch of spikes on it, and normally you lay on it before bed to overwhelm the nervous system, so then it'll just melt and relax, and it it's a like a kind of a cool bulletproof hack thing, and. What I did instead is though, as I taught myself to stand on this. First, I would sit, and so my feet are on these kind of sharp, spiky things. Eventually, I got to where I could stand on it, and then I could pay attention to my feet. I could walk outside without pain. Like it, it totally transformed that. And now, I wear the the Vibram Five Fingers, um, especially when I travel. Whenever I, whenever it's not wet outside, I wear those because the nerve density in the feet is really high. And so for me, that has actually profoundly affected pain throughout my body. I noticed that when I wear those things, I it's, don't have any it's pain. It's remarkable.
3: Yeah, because, yeah. you know, I, there was a, a, a research thing done a bunch of years back. So I, 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 I can't find the research itself. I remember reading the paper where, you know, they did these uh, things you put in the shoes, plastic that had those spikes, right? Mm-hmm. And they, they did it... Um, to, I don't know, stimulate the feet. But then they found that older people, their balance got better. Now, if you think of what's aging, if I can make it really simple, the opposite of aging is being born and growing and you know, in the youth period, right? What does what the system do like incredibly intensely? Is grow the brain, create new connections, create differentiation. Differentiation means that first the baby can only do that, flex and not flex. And eventually you can be a a concert pianist. That's remarkable uh, level of differentiation, right? And complexity, the system gets more and more complex and it has more freedom. Aging is losing complexity,
1: Mm. is
3: going back. So older people start moving like this and so on. And the ability to perceive differences degrades. I read that a bunch of years. I said they get better balance not because they get because of the stimulation. They feel the feet more. Mm -hmm. They feel the feet more. the the brain can do something with the information. You know, with the stimulation that comes in. They just stop feeling it. You put children that have cerebral palsy in in braces temporarily for specific reasons. It's okay to do. There are times when it's useful. But the ones that put because you, you they can't control, so you turn the legs like a, a tree trunk. Mm-hmm. By the age 11, they don't feel the bottom of their feet. Wow. So what I say, because there's no variability. It feels always the same. So I say to parents, they say, should I put on the brace or not? I said, well, depending if you're wanting to give it time to see if the child will ever walk independently, or if we accept that the child is not going to get better, then you can put on them whatever you want. hmm and, of course, we're a complex system. What happens with the feet informs all the joints. So that's variations in any way you want to put them in.
2: So variations Works. are good. I have one more question there about cerebral palsy. Um, I've done some work with uh, Dwight Jennings, who's been a guest on the show. He's a craniofacial physician, actually Alameda, in your neck of the woods uh, in the Bay Area. I, I know of him. Oh, you know of him, Okay. And, we refer to him. Oh, you do refer to him. Of course you would. <laughs> so for, for listeners, what uh, Dr. Jennings does, and he does specific work for, for people with CP or any sort of chronic, weird neurological stuff, he looks at the alignment of the bite yeah. and the jaw. And my jaw is about a half inch forward from where it used to be. Not from surgery, just from allowing it to relax because one of the, the big signals for the environment around you comes from the way your teeth connect. And mm-hmm. my bite was was kind of far back and jacked up, which was triggering my sympathetic or my fight mm-hmm. or flight response all the time, just from jaw tension mm-hmm. that I was unaware of because it had mm-hmm. always been there. So today I have about a three millimeter cap on each of my back molars that changed the structure of my face, but more importantly changed the structure of my nervous system and made me more, uh, more aware of my movement and more balanced, which is kind of amazing right? we,
3: we sent to him a lot of the people we work with okay yeah he's he's brilliant
2: C- can you talk more about the the sense of proprioception which is our, our sense of, of where we are in space and how the jaw and the elbows and like like what is proprioception and, and how does that affect things
3: <laughs> well p- without proprioception you 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 can't live I mean it's it's like we are all a system that needs to get somehow the sensations to inform the system what's going on. But,
2: but it, it's usually so, wrong, though, right? Like
3: oh, I love it! I love it! I got <laughs> it! I got it! It sounds like it's so broad. I didn't know where to go. But uh, the just, we learn to see, right? We learn to hear. We 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 get again the stimulation and an impact. But it's, again, it's that soup. It's that blender thing. It's just noise. It's like, right? Mm -hmm. And if we get too much of it and we can't put order in it, it actually is very agitating to the system. It it downgrades the whole whole system. The sensation and interpreting the sensations, first of all, feeling them, and then the interpretation of the sensations as they come in, is a very lengthy learning process extremely lengthy learning process so when a child starts i can send you a quick video i won't go into it right now but when a very young like a seven eight week old baby starts reaching out looking to catch something you'll see that it has great you know jumps off the tra- the trajectory the, like if i want to touch your nose mm-hmm. i can just go and touch your nose that's extremely complex I have to know that most people, partly because of the way the biological system, and I'd like to go back to the success Mm. and failure about your CEOs, I might have some suggestions to give you. (laughs) Some more of them want to do it. But but uh, most people, because of the nature of our biological system, is when we gauge something as success, and usually success is like, first of all, I survived then I'm approved. Mm-hmm. I've got the satisfaction of what I need. M- m- unless the environment invites that and your listeners are self-motivated to do that, that's we stop. So most people around the teenage years actually stop the massive, after teenage years, the massive development because they move very much into social dynamics and they kind of get out of that very intense Internal, personal, self centered process of development.
2: You also lower neuroplasticity, like like something called brain derived nootropic factor drops after a certain age.
3: Yeah, but if you keep the process, you yeah. upgrade that. A
2: lot well, of
3: history. Yes, uh, so, uh, so, so, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> That's a, so you can inte- look at the brain is a negative entropy system, it puts order in the disorder. Everything, we are part of the the, the, the world and we will go to entropy. Entropy is always there. Entropy is always there. So how much are we going to invest in going to higher levels of organization? That's negative entropy, right, in, in very broad terms. And as you said, initially it's exhausting because, I mean, so let me just go back on that. So there's success. And then there's this, the environmental demands. There's very low value placed on continued personal development in all aspects, unless it serves something. So athletes are are encouraged to continue. Mm -hmm. If you go to university, you're encouraged in certain ways to continue. But the personal growth is actually usually just dropped on the side. A very big part of the literal formation of the sense of self and evolving into a more full human being, and in my world, evolving into who you were born to be, is continuing the process of training the proprioceptive system which is the basis for everything. And you see, without sight, you can live. Without hearing, you can live. We prefer to have it, but we can live. Without proprioception, no life.
2: So if so, you don't know where your body is in space, you, it's you can't over. feed yourself, And, and you if you feel,
3: yeah. but to develop it, you can actually get better and better and better at it. And that's the essentials to do that. So one mm-hmm. or two more essentials?
2: Um, before we get to those, um, I have a screw in my right knee. Uh, and I've had three surgeries on that knee. And they were entirely unnecessary. It's because I didn't have a good sense of proprioception when I was young. Partly, I lived in a basement of toxic mold, which jacks up your nervous system. It's so you don't, you don't grow the sense of proprioception the way you should. And then as a guy who's lost 100 pounds of fat, I remember really clearly the first, like, five years or so. when I'm Like, oh, actually, I have ribs. Like, I, I can see my abs <laughs> sometimes, uh, depending on what I ate. Uh, but I'd walk down a hallway. I would like move to the side to make space, as if I was a three hundred pound person, because my sense Perfect. of proprioception yes. was still three hundred pound body, even though yes, I wasn't exactly. anymore. Which, exactly. which just stood out to me one day. I'm like, wait, I didn't have to step to the side there, but I did. And that's like a constant tuning of the sense of like what's actually happening. Where, where that, am I exact, right now?
3: And that's, by my understanding, aside from all the physiological stuff that really also plays a huge part, is why people who lose weight gain it back.
2: Because they still have the picture of that. Because remember the, that.
3: the homunculus? I mean, everything you've learned, you've learned to do within who you were. You lost the weight. It's like it's like being a, a, an amputee. Mm-hmm. It's like you amputated a whole, but all around, right? The brain doesn't know that. So I, I when I work with people who lost a lot of weight, I do things that they start experiencing their actual size. Rather than having the other sides, I like mean, what
2: kind of things? That's I'm sure a lot of people, have, a lot of older people have lost fifty plus pounds. So yes. what, what can they do?
3: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm going to plug my own materials yeah, yeah, here because course. I can't teach the. So I, I have, you know, the Neuro Movement for Whole Brain Body Fitness Program. here okay. they can get on my website, I uh, have, let's
2: spell that a n a t b a n i e l method.com. Yes. All right.
3: Yes, another method. And
2: by the way, there's no like affiliate or any stuff. This yeah, yeah. work is worth your attention. That's why she's on the show.
3: Yeah, thank you. And and I have if people have pain. I have a packet for pain relief, healthy backs, healthy necks, healthy joints, scoliosis, and healthy back. I mean, it's a whole thing. And each one of those lessons is different from the others, and also amongst. The, I mean, across the programs, because variability, mm-hmm. different movement lessons, and when you do it. As you do it, because you pay attention to what you move, the variations I built in, I make sure that, the, the, because we work on one function per lesson, mm-hmm. but we bring a lot of variations and we always make it sure it's a whole body integrated thing. And uh, you actually experience yourself again and again within the new parameters. So you can shorten, like the, the process, you can first of all go for it intentionally, rather than hope it's gonna work. And the other part is, you know, within a week or two, you're done. I mean, but, like, but thoroughly, and you grew new connections, and you can do things you couldn't do before, and you upgrade the brain. So, cool. yeah, so f- I, I am really now dying to work with you because of the screws and the chest and the, oh, yeah. the whole thing. I mean, I'll, I'll, we'll do I'll, it. I'd
2: love to get an upgrade from you, that'll be yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah.
3: Well, well, we'll exchange upgrades. And um, uh, there's plenty I can upgrade in. <laughs> <laughs> And, and so another variation, I mean, another essential mm-hmm. is um, something again, that, two of them that are quite counterproductive, uh, not productive, they're very productive, but they're counterintuitive. One is slow.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Slow is an incredibly important mechanism to wake up the brain.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And the, the fast, if you know, and you'll understand it, the structure of the brain, you can only do what you already know. Mm-hmm.
1: It has to be
3: wired in. It's already wired in. And the brain, when you go fast, has to go to what it has there. So it always goes to what you already know. So if you want to go past what you do, you do what you do. You do the different essentials with it, If you, you know, which I recommend. You slow down. You speed. First of all, you make possible change. Otherwise, change is very unlikely. And then you, you uh, potentiate the change tremendously. So anything, slow down the the movement, slow down the the intensity of how you do things, and so on and so forth. The other one is reducing the force. That is, again, if you know the Weber Fechner Law, you, you know the doctors here in the room understand that, is the more intense the base stimulation is, the level of stimulation, the greater additional stimulation you need to perceive a difference. It's a logarithmic curve. Mm-hmm. So, and it, so it grows really fast. So if you want to change how you do something in your shoulder or in your leg, or if you want to move better, like the, if you reduce the effort, you slow down, you do the movement smaller in the beginning, and you pay attention to what you feel, it's miracle after miracle, breakthrough after breakthrough. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, damn, so,
2: so. It works.
3: You know, so, over and over again. It really works. I still get surprised by it.
2: <laughs> that's awesome. So the first one was people can focus on the sensation of something, how something feels. Move,
3: how they feel as they move.
2: And the second one is to move more slowly.
3: Real slow down. Okay. And then you learn how to do it because to actually control movement really slow is harder. And you... Okay, so the second is slow.
2: Mm-hmm. And what's the third one?
3: The third was a reduction of force. Okay. I call it subtlety. You, you just do it... With less force. Don't, and, and the fourth one is variations. If you don't follow my work, you know, I provide the variations. Yeah. You, uh, but you can just bring in any variations if you can get creative, any variation you want. And the fifth one that is two more that I want to say really quick is flexible goals. A yeah. huge mistake is to try to get to the goal up front because if you could, you would do it already. You so We never I mean, mo- know how we get mo- there. Move in the
2: direction continuously, but don't have to hit a certain level right away. Or,
3: or, or even the actual outcome. I know that when I work with a human being and a human brain, and they're alive, and they're there, and they're interested, they have the potential. Their brain is remarkable. It might take five minutes. It might take 10 years. Depends what we are after and depends where they're at. Most of the things usually take between an hour to six, seven months. Depends what, you know, stroke uh, survivors, things like that. So, so, but but the attitude should be like what you did with your notebook. Oh, I noticed this is different. Oh, I noticed this is different. Oh, that tells you... So when parents come to me and say, is my child going to walk? Is my child going to talk? Or a musician? Am I going to play a game? I say, I don't know. If I had to know now, I wouldn't know what to do with you. But what I can tell you, we're going to look for change and change okay. and more change and more change. And if it happens we know what the outcome will be. So I call okay. it a random process with predictable outcomes.
2: That, that is fantastic. And I know we're coming up on the end of our interview. I wanna make sure that you, uh, you get your next appointment on time. And this is one of the first times we've ever had a live studio audience here. So we have several people, let's see, a couple of medical professionals, and uh, oh, what, a, uh, an
3: Advaniyan method practitioner. Yeah, one of
2: your practitioners. And a
3: parent that brings her child. Yeah. yeah
2: and uh, and Alan here yes. has actually been on camera the whole time learning. Alan, do you feel like you might have learned something that can give you a massive upgrade and yes. make you stronger, bigger, mm-hmm. faster, that kind of thing? Yes. Maybe more calm, more peaceful kind Yeah. What,
3: what? I'm curious. What? What have you? What? Are you okay telling us what you think? I'm not
4: really sure yet.
1: That's perfect. That is a perfect. That's a perfect answer, a perfect
3: answer because it, when you learn, you don't know yet. Mm-hmm. First, you know, so it's already inside you, and then you will learn. And if he has experience, like I had oh. when I was eleven years old, I mean, he will so, know it.
2: So, for uh, for people listening just on the radio, my son Alan, who's 7 who's been sitting on my lap for almost this entire interview, just listening, just picking up some facts, and well, and he has a new haircut too that yeah. I did. Oops,
3: I love it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you look great, Alan. Yes, you do.
2: Now. Where can people find your work? Anatbanielmethod.com, and that's A-N-A-T-B-A-N-I-E-L, then method.com. Yes. And your two books. Tell people the titles so they can pick those up. Uh,
3: The one uh, about working with children with special needs, which is relevant to all children, uh, is uh, Kids Beyond Limits. And the one for adults is Moving to Life, The Nine Essentials for Lifelong Vitality.
2: When you download the show notes for this, all of those links will be in them. If you go to bulletproof.com, go check out the blog post for this, and we'll put all those in there as well. So you don't have to write all that down. No need to pull out your phone in traffic or anything like that. Uh, and the whole point there is that this process of of sensing what's going on in your body is the key to both moving better, but also to to thinking better and Anytime you do that, you'll actually improve your performance just because you have another data point. Without thinking about the data point at all, the brain will automatically build exactly. that into your, your subconscious model of the world. And Anant's work is, is really interesting, and she's she's one of the, the best in the world at looking at what movement does to the brain. Uh, so it, it's a, a unique privilege to get to have her here at Bulletproof Labs and to interview her live uh, with, uh, with a live audience even. So thank you for being here. Thank Thanks you
3: so, so very much. I mean... And I, the audience, I, I want the audience to know the feeling of being here is magnificent. Your, your space, your family. Oh, thanks. The, 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 just, so you guys, I know you can't be here, but you can imagine just feeling love and expansion. So thank you so, so very much.
2: I appreciate that. Yes. Have a wonderful rest of your trip on Vancouver Island. Mm-hmm. Yes, and absolutely. For, uh, for listeners, you know what to do. Check out Announce Work because you'll like it. And while you're at it, It's not too late,
4: unless you're listening to this
2: in the future at some point. If it's before April 4th of 2017, you can go to orderheadstrong.com and you can pick up a copy of of Headstrong, which is my new book, and I'll give you a bunch of free stuff, including a coupon that just about pays for your book. So this is a unique opportunity. You get some free content, some videos of me teaching you breathing exercises, and stuff like that. So go to orderheadstrong.com, and I'd be grateful if you order it before it comes out. Because when you do that, it helps my publishers know how many copies to print. So it makes a real difference to authors. And that's an author, too. And we work really hard, just thousands and thousands of hours, to make a book that saves you a lot of time because you only have to read for a few hours and you get all this, like, the most valuable stuff. Uh, So I've done that work for you. And if you're going to buy a copy anyway, just buy it now because it helps more. Like, say thanks. Yeah.
3: Buy the book. (laughs) It's the the most ridiculously inexpensive thing yeah. on the market of books. You put mm-hmm. in a few years and a lifetime of work, and then it's, what, $10, $15, yeah. nothing.
2: It's no. the most concentrated source of knowledge that's yes. out there. Yeah, so yeah. if you're going to yeah. do it anyway, your timing matters, and, and that matters a lot to authors like us. So yes. thank you for uh, considering purchasing both an us book and mine because they'll help you. Yeah. Thanks thank again. You.
3: Hug.